Welcome to Text the Nation. Joining us is Jeff Pulver, voiceover IP pioneer, co-founder of Vonage, so many other things. He's the guy really responsible for what you're hearing now, for having <laughs> this broadcast, this segment on the internet so many years ago. Thanks so much for joining us, Jeff. Very grateful to be here. Well, you've got a new venture going on right now, which is called Debrief. And we're going to have to explain this to the general consumer audience here, what this is all about, because you've been such a pioneer involved in the nuts and bolts of communication online. And this is, you're trying to solve a problem that's come up pretty recently. Uh, yes. Well, the, the, the inspiration for Debrief uh, was... Um the answer to the question of what happens when blockchain meets communication and how do you provide a secure way for people to communicate over the internet and maintain their privacy. And what constantly reminds me that a solution is needed is all the robocalling I was getting, all the spam messaging I was getting, and being able to know that when I'm communicating with somebody on a network, that the person I'm speaking to is indeed the person I want to be speaking with. And when I'm answering a call for that person to be the person whom I want to communicate with. And so I started out on this journey to create, uh, we'll call it middleware, because it's really a network. When I, the, the, before I did Vonage, I, I had something called Free World Dial-Up, which launched seven years before Skype. And it was the first open communication network on the internet. It was the first time anyone actually tried to connect telephony at that, that point, the telephone and the internet. And then it evolved. And, and I was saying to myself, gee, what can we do today to both demonstrate the future and solve a need? And so uh, 20 years ago, I ended up with about a million users on my free world dial-up network with the help of many other people contributing to it. And we were able to do um, open communications using protocols and standards. And this was at a time and when it would cost I'm, people a small fortune to make a, a, a long-distance call to relatives or friends yeah, in another country. People were still paying, people were still paying dollars and, 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 and certainly 50, yeah, a lot of money and tariffs were, were high to, to call overseas. And it, it was certainly at the infancy of, of the communication internet as we know today. And so a couple of years ago, I started down this path of what could we do now to both uh, share a future vision and deliver something to people. And so learning that if you build the network, if you build the middleware that allows the connectivity and then provide a demonstration application that shows what you can do, my hope, the dream is for third-party developers, people who are inspired to revolutionize communications, people who want to take what they're working on, whether it's video conferencing, whether it's uh, voice conferencing, whether it's just, just another way to communicate, come onto the network and use the, the protocols we've provided so they could take their programs and bring it onto our network. That's the idea. What Debrief uh, developed and has uh, launched is a demonstration application of what one can do. And we show people how to do video conferencing, how to do voice communication, how to do many other things. So the future for us is to provide the infrastructure that will enable many people to communicate. And in fact, the value of what we're doing increases every time somebody adds their node to our network or creates a service and launches it on our structure, on our infrastructure. So um, I've been working on this for a while and, and you know, my 25 years plus experience looking to redefine communications and think to the future is what I've brought into making debrief happen and, and the reality that's growing from it. And, you know, in recent times when, when Zoom woke up one day 
and had you know went from uh, 10 million to uh, 200 million downloads and became the most popular application in the world. Um, they had some problems and a lot of grief uh, caused by their surge in popularity. One of the biggest challenges that Zoom had was security and not typical sense, not that people were breaking in as much as people were being very public with how to get onto a Zoom. And, and they were, people did not know to hide it, sort of like in the early days of the home internet when people didn't change the default passwords to their routers and people were complaining about being hacked when really what they were doing was just leaving, you know, leaving the door open. So a lot of people have taken advantage of those um, hooks and, um, and, and Zoom got a lot of grief for trying to balance between user experience and privacy. And, and while they have taken steps to in fact make that situation better, um, it's not completely secure, and, but it's hopefully moving toward where they wanna go. And, and so what I, we've been working on is having the security of knowing the endpoint because we ver verify and validate them immediately. So we, you know, people don't get onto our conversations without us ver knowing who they are. So there's, we don't have to worry about those types of things. And, and, the, and the infrastructure we're building is open in the sense that any company can join us and take what they're doing and bring it onto our network and they could benefit from what we've been investing in and what we've been building onto. I, I do think in the era that we're living in now, being able to talk to somebody, being able to communicate with somebody is priceless. And whether we're doing this with video or with voice or with some ability to share emotion and just to convey a connection, uh, it, it just is invaluable at times. And it's, uh, it makes us really appreciate just the being able to say hello. What about the, the need for interoperability? I mean, Zoom is certainly so popular today, but uh, there is competition and obviously some, some big names wanting, wanting uh, to get in on what Zoom has, uh, has, has done here. Well, well to, to, the, to the credit of the legacy, um, you know, Skype provided video conferencing services. Google has Google, you know, um, has Hangouts. It's, it's how people look at the solution to the problem that they see and it's the perception to it. So what, what Zoom happens to have, the, the, the perfect storm for Zoom, is it, it is a good enough platform for people to interoperate, that is to say people who have um, um, mobile phones and desktops, people that are using um, uh, uh, Windows or, um, or Linux, or, or I should say Windows or um, Android, and uh, or you know any type of or ios and so they're able to connect people regardless of the edge device so w whether i have a an apple iphone or someone has a google phone somebody has a uh, windows desktop it doesn't matter they're serving as an interoperability layer and bringing people into that conversation and what people are how people are repurposing zoom i find amazing I really enjoy the creativity that that artists particularly are being able to create interactions between fans and, and with um, themselves and being able to do collaborations in ways never before conceived of. And I think what Zoom is really is a, is a preview for what true collaboration will look like in the near future, at least for consumers. You know, video is not been a, is not a, a something which has been taken away from us. It was in the 1964 World's Fair that the CEO of uh, AT&T shared his vision that video was the future. And then as the children in the 60s, as they grew up, they saw cartoons like the Jetsons, and we got this idea of, 
of, of what a video lifestyle could be like, although maybe you didn't have so much privacy because you could peer, you could zoom in to someone's life. Um, we never, you know, video conferencing never happened in the first or second or third or fourth generation, although business conferencing did. It wasn't until people were able to literally connect with each other freely and openly did, did video conferencing through things like FaceTime become a reality. And today, um, where people can take it for granted that they could just bring together 22 people from around the world and have a conversation, I'm impressed. Um, I Earlier, you mentioned that I was responsible for some of this. I did not create the tech. I did experiment with it. Um, and I actually have contributed some pieces, but what I'm most known for, at least in my mind space, besides help, helping to grow the nascent voice over IP industry, is I had a premonition in 2003 that I needed to protect the future. And I went to the Federal Communications Commission for regulatory clarity that voice communication that originates on the internet and doesn't touch the legacy phone network for that not to be regulated as telecom. And I didn't realize what I was going to, going to be up against. Uh, but a year later, on February 12, 2004, the chairman of the FCC, uh, Chairman Michael Powell, issued something known as the Pulver Order, which is why people were able to freely communicate over the internet. And the people providing those services um, don't have, were not regulated as telecom providers. So when I used to travel and speak at, at campuses and speak to different people, I used to say, if any of you in this room today are benefiting from things like FaceTime and WhatsApp and Messenger, and you're not paying for it, you're welcome. Um, but it, it's because I was able to get clarity to protect the future that all that happened. And, 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 and things like Zoom is a manifestation of what happens when people can create without having to worry about the burden of regulations on top of them. Otherwise, would you individually paying for every little uh, message or... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the phone companies, you know, the, back in 2003, right, they, no, nobody in the telecom industry saw Wi-Fi being free. It was going, WiMAX got introduced as a way to rebut Wi-Fi because people wanted to command and control access to wireless internet networks. And when Wi-Fi got out of the box, um, people were thinking strategically, gee, how do we take back control? And it's because it's free that we're able to not have to pay per message unit, why we're able to freely and openly connect. And now we're living in a time when there are over you know, 7.4 billion people on this planet and over 3 billion are connected. You never before have we had so much connectivity and the ability to bring together so many people. Interoperability will continue to matter because no person is an island. And we, we have a need to connect. We have a need to communicate. And it's innate in all of us. And helping to facilitate those communications is something which is priceless when it works well. And, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to launch debrief and to provide an infrastructure that will enable more people to connect securely um, than ever before. And at the same time, provide a platform for developers to take their products and onboard them onto our network. So it's, it's an interesting future. And, you know, when I'm looking at the future, for me, it's not just communications, but how do we use the set of tools we've developed since the birth of the commercial internet to solve mega problems, world problems. And, you know, in the era of COVID-19, one of the things which um, I believe is needed is not only just open, open communications between everybody trying to solve problems, but being able to quickly um, del deliver real-time information between um, different uh, governments 
about uh, things like contact tracing, being able to, you know, when, when we're able to go back to work and people are traveling, being able to manage and maintain status. So when you go to one border or another border that we're able to spontaneously in real time understand um, who you've been in contact with and have your status recognized by the governmental entity that you're now in when you travel to it. What you're talking about, I mean, in this country, there's the issue of going state to state because there's not a, I guess, a, an overall federal policy regarding all of that yet. Um, but beyond that, you're, you're talking about international travel, everything else, and, and yeah, being I mean, able I, to share this data and, and really open it up and, and make sure it's secure and, and accurate. So tell me what your vision is right. for this and, and how what you're doing can come into play, maybe. Well, building the middleware for a communication network you know, can be repurposed for many things. I'm on mission to help connect um, the world um, who like to, if you will, take advantage of blockchain communications. But when we you know, shift a little bit into the conversation about, about uh, safety and public health and public safety uh, for everyone, you know, a few weeks ago, if you were driving from New York to Massachusetts and you drove through Rhode Island, you got pulled over by the, because of an order of the governor, because the borders were closed to New Yorkers. And um, to say that uh, there's no interoperability between states is a mess, understatement. Uh, in the world of trying to fight COVID-19, um, assuming that we have widespread testing and assuming that we have quick testing so that tests are done you know, within a minute or two, so one can be tested and you carry with you a certificate that, that either you are vulnerable or that you have the antibodies or whatever the proof is going to be that you're safe to be around. When you travel across state borders or county borders or, or, or town borders, you want the person who receives you to know that you're okay to be around. If you were to get on an airplane once again and travel from New York to London, you want to be able to go into a, a conference uh, meeting, uh, something, uh, even uh, even just go into the airport and after they test you, for you to be not have to go two weeks of quarantine, but to be recognized that you can be around other people who've also been vetted. We need to have a global footprint of interoperability that is secure, that is manageable, where we there's trust, which sounds a lot like blockchain to me. And it has to be. Um, it and, has and, to be in a digital format, doesn't it, Jeff? Because I mean, your, your, your health change format. can change from hour to hour, day to day, week to week, obviously. And, and the thing is, it's not only just the status that I brought with me when I flew to London, but the contact tracing. That is to say that if while I was online to go through immigration, it turns out that somebody there was had, had COVID, was asymptomatic, and, and no one knew that they were sick. Um, and, two, and a day and a half later, it came out that they were ill. And then and the UK government were to uh, contact everybody who was in their proximity. I need to know that regardless of where I came from so that I could also all of a sudden uh, self-isolate if, in fact, I'm vulnerable. So we need to be able to not only recognize our status across nation borders, but the contact tracing, which gets into all these other issues about uh, privacy and being able to be anonymous and autonomous at the same time, have private, you know, have uh, have access to data in a meaningful way. It's a big challenge. And I, I, I won't be surprised if it is a blockchain-based solution connected with a communication network that delivers part or that entire solution. I'm, I'm focusing today on just delivering the vision for a, a blockchain-based communication network, if you will, a vanilla version. Uh, but I, I do believe that when you look to the future and you look at how we were able to solve 
a pandemic, and, if, if, and, and just not, not just this pandemic, but anytime there's a worldwide crisis, we need to have global interoperability. And, you know, years ago, when I used to travel um, from New York to different events uh, where I was speaking, I remember in the, in the 90s, I needed to carry a bag of gadgets with me in order to connect to the tel- local telephone network to get to the dial-up internet. And then Wi-Fi happened, and I didn't have to worry about it because I connected. And, and then, but, but I always would have to worry about going to transfer agents to, tra- to go from dollars to pounds or dollars to francs or dollars to euros. And then when banking got interoperability working, where you can take a bank card from one bank in the United States and go to a foreign bank and get cash, that for me has always been the diamond demonstration of what interoperability is. Of course, now we're more in a cashless society, but the, the idea of being able to take your bank card and all of a sudden get, get cash is pretty amazing. We need to have as good as that type of interoperability represents. We need that as well if and when we're going to have global or galactic uh, uh, contact tracing for COVID-19 and any other other pandemic. And so it's a lot of number crunching, a lot of data that needs to be uh, processed. Uh, Years ago, we were talking about the era of big data. Well, we're in that. We're living big data. But we need all this information available to us in real time and being able to process it so that we can save lives today. There are those who think that uh, magically in a couple of months, things are going to be just as they were before COVID. I I don't think you're buying into that. Do they have time machines? (laughs) Are they just going to travel to an alternative universe into the metaverse and go to a, and go to a, a civilization where they haven't been affected? I, there is no going back. All we have is today. The future is unwritten, but the future starts now. And, and the reality that we're in has shifted to where we are. And while we may have um, sentimental um, imaginations of what one could be, that's not a reality today. Uh, and, and so we need to live in the now, understand that we need to protect those that are vulnerable to the disease, give the honor and praise to everyone on the front lines who, who are risking their lives on a daily basis to, stay, to protect the world. And at the same time, understand that if we do something that will spike the number of infection rates so that right now in the New York city area, I believe that the reinfection rate is less than one. If that were to just shift above 1.2, our hospitals will be overloaded and people will perish because they can't handle the loading. In the neighborhood that I live, um, you know, we have over, over 500 cases, you know, in in Nassau County, I think it was over 26,000 and it's, even when we go out to the food store and, and are wearing masks and are wearing gloves, I worry about, um, you know, I, I, I worry about uh, the status of other people shopping and everyone who innocently may be a carrier. And it, it, it's a challenging time to, to breathe and to be. And so I don't look at two months from now going back to the old normal because we're in the new normal now. Uh, and we will figure things out and things will shift and they will seem more comfortable, but we have to keep our guard up. We have to learn to respect the needs of healthcare workers, the need to have public health um, as, as a priority, because this is what happens when we neglect it. This is the world we've got into. And it, it's going to take time for things to come back, but we will go forward, right? We don't give up hope. We embrace hope. We embrace the creative mindset, and we know that we could figure everything out. We just need time, and, and we cannot rush. It's like there's a law of readiness. 
And, you know, as much as you have a baby and you want the baby to crawl and run and, 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 and do amazing things, the baby will crawl when the baby is ready. The baby will walk when it's ready. The baby will run when it's ready to run. There's a law of readiness. We cannot force readiness on a society until it's ready. And while there are many economic reasons why one may want to open doors sooner, um, we have the impact of what happens if opening, and now if opening doors sooner does not raise the reinfection rate, okay, we've made a major progress. And, and maybe that's a, that, that's, that'd be amazing and beautiful. And, and I do hold that hope for vaccines. I do hold that hope for solutions so that medically, if you're in this situation, there will be treatments that will help people on the edge. But why go to the edge? If, if so, if opening the doors do not increase the reinfection rate, totally different conversation. But if there's correlation between opening the door to commerce and letting people walk freely without masks and not, not socially distanced uh, raises the reinfection rate, we will lose everything we learned and everything we got to to this point and we'll relive um, many more weeks of isolation so that we could bring it down once again. And the uh, unfortunate reality is many more people will perish who didn't have to had we just held on to what we were doing. So there's a balance between figuring things out. I let the government officials figure that stuff out. But I, I do not believe that the reality we're in today is the reality of yesterday. It's a new reality. It's a new, it's a new level of mindset. But together, we can build and define the future. And in that reality uh, today and in the future, you have to wonder where we'd be if it wasn't for the uh, kind of communication we have today. And, and you certainly played an instrumental role in, in, in enabling all of that. Where would we be without the ability to communicate through the Internet now? It would be challenging. I'm, I'm very grateful that um, I had the inspiration years ago to go up and to help build and create um, what grew into the voiceover IP industry and help transform the way people communicate. And I'm very grateful that I stood my ground and I, and I, and I spent a year lobbying Washington and other parts around the world for, to, for people to freely be able to communicate on the internet. I had no idea of the consequences, the ramifications many years later, but you know, being able to connect and share and engage with others is priceless. And uh, I like to believe that something that I've done has helped make this world a better place. So with Debrief now, uh, Jeff, are you hoping that some of the big players are going to uh, make use of the platform? Or do you think it's going to be the, the, the startups who are, who are going to be competing? Well, it's, well, when I did Free World Dial-Up, in the beginning, it was just me. And I, I created, uh, I, I supported open standards, open protocols. I, I provided demonstration instructions on how people could take their own uh, hardware devices, configure them, and put it onto the network. And ultimately, I delivered my own communication application to the network for people to use. The life lesson that I learned from back then is that what I delivered was overly complicated, overly difficult to use, and I should have been focusing on just doing the middleware. And we, we have uh, a solution today that demonstrates some of the capabilities one could do. And I do think it's going to be a combination of, of uh, innovative companies uh, on the edge who will poke around and, and move their applications to debrief because they can. And I would not be surprised if, if, if major corporations were not at least looking at us as a sandbox or as an opportunity to play and see what they can do. Whether they commercialize their version of the product running on a network or not is up to them as a product market, a product 
market fit challenge for their for, the, for their own product managers. Uh, but we're open, and so if people were playing, they can play, and they could commercialize if they choose to. And we're open to the possibility of doing business with whomever. It's it's, it's a matter of their choice. Uh, I will I wouldn't be surprised if if one or more major players come to us. And if anything, I also hope that we will inspire people who are doing something else to come in and take their dream application and put it onto our infrastructure. It's really going to be up it's up to at some extent the dreamers and the makers and those people who want to have and be part of a communication network for the future. There's so much legacy that people some people just deal with what they have right now. They don't look beyond their toes. Um, but for everyone else, uh, it, it's really an opportunity to repurpose and grow um, what they already have. And so there's uh, no downside, in my opinion, to coming onto our network and uh, an opportunity to learn. And uh, we all learn together. And the, the good part about what we're working on is that if a third-party developer says, we like what you have, but would it be nice, would be really nice on a network level to have this function or that function, we're open to enabling what those functions are, at least trying to at least understand the challenge or the issues that they see, which is why I have an open call for developers to come on to be brief, look at our APIs that are all on GitHub, and to um, you know, join us um, in, in helping to redefine communications of tomorrow, today. Well, the website for more information is debrief.co, and you talk about your dreamers and makers. Jeff Pulver, thanks for taking the time with us. Thank you for having me. Now this. How many companies out there have continued to innovate when it comes to building a better radio? I'm Fred Fishkin, host of Textination, and I'm here to tell you about the new CC SkyWave SSB radio from the wonderful people at C-Crane. Bob and his crew really love radio, and it shows in this new compact model that is packed with features. Beyond great AM and FM reception and sound, you can tune into shortwave signals from around the world. Listen to ham radio operators, aviation, and more. It's the radio you'll turn to every day and in emergencies. It will run for nearly three days on just two AA batteries. Pair the sleep timer with the new Soft Speaker 3, and you've got the perfect radio for your nightstand. Of course, it can wake you up too. Click on Ccrane at textination.com and put in the code textination for a free flashlight with your order. They love radio, and you'll love Ccrane.